Hey, everybody. This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. We are reaching the tail end of our NBA coverage for a little while. We have, I think, three more episodes left to do this month, including this one. And then August, we're switching gears and going to some football previews and getting into some NFL stuff. But before we get there, uh, today we're going to talk about the NBA Finals game from last night, the U.S. men's national team, the team that's going to play in the Tokyo Olympics coming up here soon, and uh, the new Space Jam movie that's coming out tomorrow. And uh, I have a a pretty good rant loaded up about Space Jam, so uh, stay tuned for that at the end. Let's go. Matt's here and we had to start recording before the pre-show stuff just really took a turn on us. So we're we're here. You ready? (laughs) Yep. So we are fresh off of the Bucks tying up the NBA finals last night, 2-2 in a game that was looking like, so I stayed up late for this. And whenever I stay up late and get a like dissatisfying ending, I'm like mad. Like I could have gone to sleep a half an hour earlier. (laughs) Big deal for me. I'm 31 now. I've, I've aged since the last time that we recorded. It's a whole year older. I know. So if I were a fan of the Bucks or the Suns or a neutral fan, which I am, I would be furious today about the officiating last night. It was bad both ways. Don't get me wrong. It was bad both ways. But I think I would be more pissed if I was a Suns fan. And honestly, it's probably just because they lost. Like, whatever team lost, I'd probably be more pissed off for. But if I was a Suns fan, man, I would really feel like the refs took one away from me last night. Which I know sounds weird. A lot of people are probably like, are you kidding? Like, Booker had nine fouls. Like, what are you talking about? So I will explain. Devin Booker had 38 points last night through three quarters, which is tied for the second most in three quarters of a finals game since the year 2000. So Allen Iverson did it one time. He had 38 through three quarters. And then Steph Curry actually had 40 through three quarters of a playoff game one time. Gross. Yeah. Right. So he picks up his fifth foul. And like, just in case anybody doesn't know, you foul out after six fouls. So he picks up his fifth foul on this ticky tack call where he's trying to box out PJ Tucker and PJ Tucker flies into like the third row of the stands from a, Shoulder bump from Devin Booker. PJ Tucker has like what 50 pounds on Devin Booker. PJ Tucker is built like like one of the dwarves from like Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Like he's actually tall because he's playing basketball, but like out there he looks short. Like he's super stocky. PJ Tucker is is like not a man that you send flying easily. He is the literal definition of a brick shit house. Yeah. Like he's not going anywhere. So he flops and we'll get into all the other flops later because the fourth quarter was atrocious, but he flops and Devin Booker gets this, like, in my opinion, a ticky tack fifth foul and doesn't play the first like eight minutes of the fourth quarter. And they get to, the Suns get destroyed in the fourth quarter. Like this Devin Booker was the entire offense for the Phoenix Suns last night. And like credit where credit is due. The Bucks did a great job on everybody not named Devin Booker because nobody else could score. But Devin Booker was torching them with the shots he was making. 
Like if you watch that third quarter where he was seven for seven, he's hitting some of the most ridiculous shots I've ever seen in an NBA finals game. Like two hands in his face, turn around on the baseline from behind the basket, like dribbling through traffic free throw. And he was carrying the Suns, and he goes out and it's just a matter of like, can they survive until he comes back in? And the answer was no, because nobody else on the team was scoring last night. Like Chris Paul was not good. DeAndre Ayton couldn't score. And it was was rough. It was really rough outside of that. You know what this reminds me of? Back in the day when we were playing 2K and you had D-Wade and I had the Wizards with Gilbert, Karan Butler, and Antoine Jameson. They took all of them out at once. Every one of them. And as soon as they went out, you just torched me. And there was no coming back from that. And that's essentially what happened to the Suns. If you're listening to this and you know what 2K game Matt is talking about, it, you're a real one. That's that's a reference for the real ones. Fuck that game, man. <laughs> Western Michigan freshman dorms represent. Yeah, they they just couldn't survive. And then, you know, near the end of the game, Booker comes back in and literally can't foul out if he tried. And he did try. He tried multiple times. He tried to get that... Yeah. that the play, like the big play that people are going to remember from this game, there's really two. But the first one is that the Bucks have like a three-on-one breakaway and Booker absolutely mauls Drew Holiday, like purposely tries to foul him and send him to the line. And the ball just kind of gets deflected to Giannis and Giannis dunks it and no foul is called. Like if the Suns would have won the game after that, that would have been an all-time officiating blunder. Like this is what I'm saying is really whoever lost would have been more pissed off about the officiating today because it was, that was horrible. He tried to foul out multiple times in the fourth quarter and they just weren't calling anything on him. So why did he have to sit for eight minutes? He could have just been out there like a demolition derby, just running around, knocking people over. They weren't going to call anything. It's like superstar treatment. No, no coach in their right mind would just assume yeah, there's no way they're going to call another foul on him. So, like, what are you supposed to do if you're the Suns in that situation? It, you can't predict how the game's going to be called. I talked about this back with uh, the Blazers and Nuggets series. Like, no, in no way. I'm not saying that the refs decided that series but with some of the calls that they made at key times and how they changed the flow of the game, they absolutely influenced it. And that is not what we watch these games for. They need to stop this shit because it's ridiculous. Well, if I'm Monty Williams too, I totally understand the thought process behind taking him out for so long in the fourth quarter, because mm-hmm. he got a He got his fifth on a ticky tack foul against, PJ Tucker. So you're like, oh man, they're going to call the game that tight. I can't play him because I need him down the stretch. Right. And then he comes back in and he's mauling people and he's not getting like everybody was. Uh, Budenholzer's got his hands up. Booker has his hands up. He's like, well, that's not a foul. The other five were, but that one's not. So it was, it was tough, yeah. man. And I, I'm usually not like Mr. Blame the refs, but that it was a rough game and whoever lost was going to have a gripe. Get on my bus, man. I know. Well, let's give credit where credit was due, though, because aside from the bad officiating, uh, Chris Middleton did that thing again in the fourth quarter where he suddenly can't miss. Yep. <laughs> like, 
he was, I think nine for 22 at one point. He ended up, he ended up like 15 for 33, which is still not super efficient. It's kind of a volume scoring game, but they, they needed him to, because much like Devin Booker, you know, Middleton and Giannis were really all that was going for the Bucks. You don't need to hit all the shots. You just got to hit the right shots. You got to hit the right ones. And he, he had a man when he's hot, he's so fun to watch. Yeah. Like he did that to the Hawks too in that fourth quarter where he suddenly couldn't miss. He just, it's like NBA jam where the ball's on fire. And it's just like, God, every shot he took, every time he touched the ball, I'm like, this is going in, this is going in. So he was incredible down the stretch, which God, the frustrating thing with Chris Middleton is that he has the top end talent as a scorer. It's just not consistent. And it's like, man, you watch these other playoff games where he's not shooting that well. And it's like, where I, where's this guy? Where's the guy I just watched who just torched everyone and literally couldn't miss for 10 minutes? Like, I'm sure that Bucks fans are identifying with that right now too, listening to this. They're just like, God, I, yes. Yeah, I mean, if, if he could be that guy four out of seven games, we wouldn't have any doubt about how the series is going to end. Yeah, no, we, we've been on this for the entire finals and even dating back to the Eastern Conference finals is that when Holiday and Middleton, when one or both is hot, the Bucks are going to win games. Mm-hmm. But when they're both bad, you know, or one of them is really bad, but they, they needed Middleton to be great down the stretch last night because Holiday was atrocious again. It's just, yeah, it's been rough for him, man. He's, he's having a rough finals. And I think there's going to be shooting the ball. He's still finding other ways to get involved in the game, which credit to him on that. But at a certain point, you got to put the ball in the bucket. Yeah, for sure. And Giannis was good again last night. You know, since we talked last, he had back-to-back 40-point games in game two and game three. Uh, Only, I think, the second player ever to have back-to-back 40-point games in the NBA Finals. I believe it's just him and Shaq. I think that's it. That's pretty good company to be in. Uh, so he, he's been phenomenal, man. And it's not that long ago we were talking about having him kind of near the bottom of the top 10 when we do our player rankings this offseason. It's like, yeah, probably can't do that anymore. Yeah. He's still weird for one for me, like roster building wise. But I mean, it's it's hard to argue with what he's done since he's shown that he's back to at least close to 100% again. Taking the offense out of it, he's been so good defensively mm-hmm. in these finals. I mean, the play last night where Booker throws the alley-oop over his head to Aiton, who's behind Giannis, and Giannis like, spins and jumps in one motion and blocks the alley-oop. That's going to be, if the Bucks win the finals, that's going to be one of like the lasting highlights from these finals. Like, like LeBron's chase down block is like the block that we all remember from the Warriors and, and then maybe Bam's block against the Celtics last year, the game winner. This is good. That's going to be up there. Also, Bam had a shirt made with that on it, which is fantastic. It's also <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that was a great defensive play. And, when we talk about Giannis, when people talk about Giannis, a lot of the discourse around him is about what he can't do. Like we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago where, okay, we have the top like 10 to 12 players in the league. He's the only one who quote unquote, can't shoot like three pointers and free throws. 
But I would also argue that if you take the best 10 to 12 players in the league, that he's probably the best defensive player out of all of them. And so I'm going to give you a little pushback here on that because still, I would probably call Kawhi in a vacuum the best defensive player in the league, but I would be willing to put them in a 1A, 1B situation where Kawhi is obviously going to be better guarding out on the perimeter and at the rim. Giannis is clearly going to be your, your choice out of the two. Yeah, I mean, there's a debate to be had between like Giannis, you know, AD is definitely up there when he's healthy. He's a great defender. Uh, we've seen him be do some nice things on defense. Like there, there's a debate to be had, but Giannis is now four time all first team defense and also has a defensive player of the year, which I know are regular season things. But, yeah, you know, my, my point more is that like we talk all about what he can't do with the shooting yeah. and all that stuff. And he doesn't get enough credit for what he can do as a two-way player because defense is always something that is, you know, in my opinion, undervalued when we're having player discussions and like uh, team discussions to some degree and the NBA, because it's such an offense driven league, but look at how important defense has been in these playoffs and in the finals. Like, I feel like just as a whole, not necessarily you and me, because we talk about this all the time, but just as a whole, when we're debating player value and like teams and stuff, defense is, always in the back seat and people don't consider that it's literally 50% of the game. (laughs) You, you have to play defense. You have to be good on defense to win games, man. Defense wins championships. And he's definitely one of the best defensive players in the league right now. For sure. He's top five for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's insane what he can do on defense. Um, Like the reason I have him and Kawhi is like, 1A and 1B, and then everyone else is just a step below him defensively. It's just because those are the two guys that you could put them one through five. doesn't matter what position they're guarding, and they can still guard those any of those positions at a high level. There's no one else in the league that's doing that. That was my problem against the Nets, too. It wasn't really Giannis's fault as much as just, like, he's such a great defensive player, and he's a former defensive player of the year. And yeah. they're just like, no, PJ Tucker is going to guard Kevin Durant. No worries. We're just, we're just going to leave it. It's more of a coach I, bud thing than anything else. I, I almost wonder if that was more of a like, hey, we're going to use PJ Tucker to get in his head. Because remember how bad he was against uh, Patrick Beverly for a little while? Like he struggled against Pat- Patrick Beverly for like, honestly, it was like two, two and a half games straight. And then he got over it and he was like, I'm just going to torch this guy. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you would think the PJ Tucker thing where they're like, okay, we're going to use Tucker to get in his head. You would think that you probably found out that didn't work after the first 48 point game that he dropped. Ah, No, just keep running it back. (laughs) I guess it took till after the second. (laughs) It'll work the seventh time. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. He's averaging 45 (laughs) points a game in this series, but we're, we're definitely in his head. We're going (laughs) to, you know, what's going on in Kevin Durant's head. He's like, God, this is too easy. Fucking keep putting this guy on me. Uh, yeah, but all in all, man, the Bucks defense was really good last night. Like we said, n- no one on the Suns could really get anything going outside of Booker. Uh, Paul was bad. Aiden couldn't score. And yeah. Jay Crowder, I think, spent more time on the floor covering his face well, than he did upright. Paul, man, like, he put them in a bad spot, too. That turnover he had down two 
turns into a fast break. You can't do that if you're Chris Paul. You're the point god. I know you're having a rough game, but like that is not a Hall of Fame point guard caliber play. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's hurt. He's had multiple he's had multiple injuries throughout the playoffs, his shoulder, both of his wrist. And I partially wonder if something is like lingering. But it's also kind of hard for me to believe because he has been so good, like up to these last couple yep. of games. So kind of you kind of lose the opportunity to use that after that. Um, and also, like, that's not a play that didn't work because of an ankle or a wrist or something like that. That play didn't work because he wasn't using his head. And I get, like, if you're in a lot of pain, you might make, make some bad decisions because of that. But if you're in that much pain, you shouldn't be out there anyways. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head talking about turnovers too because one of the big things that swung the game last night was that the Bucs won the turnover battle by 12. Yep. 17 to 5. The Bucs had five turnovers, and like they didn't shoot great last night, but only having five turnovers and then also having uh, – they won the offensive rebound battle 17 to 5 as well. So that's, you know – plus 12 in offensive rebound, plus 12 in turnovers, you're going to win a lot of games playing like that. Yeah, I mean, when you dominate hustle points, it's going to make winning a lot easier. So we're tied 2-2 now. We're going back to Phoenix here in a couple days. This is really great. This is perfect because of the timing for our podcast. Like, I feel like the last couple weeks we've recorded and there's been a game that night. So by the time people listen to it, the game has already been played. And now... We don't have another game until Saturday, so people have plenty of time to listen to the podcast. Where do you think we're going from here? What do you, what, what do you see happening in the series? Um, I'm still going to go something seven. Um, I, I have to believe that Chris Paul is going to write the ship. Um, if him and Booker are both playing at a high level, I don't think that Holiday and Middleton can play at a high enough level consistently enough to close this out. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite way. I'm gonna go Bucks and seven. But I think that the Suns are gonna win game five, if I had to guess. I think Paul has the stereotypical bounce back game back in Phoenix. And then Booker is probably pissed from this one. So we'll see how he does. But I I think it's just really difficult watching them the last couple of games. They just don't have an answer for Giannis. Like he had back-to-back 40-point games, and then he was great again last night. And all it takes is for them to get one or two guys hot on that team with Giannis. It's just like they just need a little bit more offense. So I'm, I'm like razor's edge, though. I'm razor's edge there. I'm right there with you. It's like it could really go either way. You could honestly say the same thing about Booker, though. Like they – the only thing that has stopped Booker in this series is Booker. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And certainly not the reps. They won't let him follow out. Less the, yeah. The, <laughs> if I'm Booker, I'm like a, I'm like I said earlier, man, I'm like a demolition car going out there. I'm just banging into everybody. Like I'm taking all you guys out. Cause I'm not fouling out of this game. Yeah. So 
I mean, we'll see what happens. I think the next game is on Saturday. So, you know, one really weird underrated storyline from these finals that I haven't heard talked about that much yet is that once the finals are over, like no matter who wins, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Devin Booker are all going to be teammates like the next day on Team USA. Like they're, they're pretty much the last day for the finals is a week from today, July 22nd. And I think the first Team USA game is like July 23rd or something, or July 24th or 5th. It's like that weekend. So like you, you're going to go from this intense, probably seven game final series to like, okay, the three of us are going to jump on a plane together. We're going to head over to Tokyo. Here we go. It's the odd. It's jet lag is a myth. It, it's never that close. Like the, the Olympics are never that close to the finals. No. Cause we have a weird schedule with COVID this year. So you never, you know, you, there've probably been teammates who have played against each other in the finals and then played on team USA, but you have like five months or something like that. You know, it's not like, yeah. okay, we're enemies today, best friends tomorrow. Let's go win a gold. I, I feel like that's going to be really weird. I feel like, how do you show up with those guys in training camp? And you're like, I feel yeah, like man. it would have been weirder 20 years ago, but now the culture in the NBA is that all of these guys are friends for the most part. That's fair. Also, if you're Popovich and they're like, all right, pop, the finals are over. We're sending you Booker Middleton and drew. Are you like, uh, I'm okay on drew. <laughs> you guys keep him over there. I'm, I'm all right. Uh, he looks a defense. Yeah. No, I, I feel like Drew's going to be a lot better in the Olympics. No, I, I do He's question. Also going to be a lot better playing less minutes and, uh, not needing to take 20 shots a game. Yeah. I was going to say the role is really good. He's like the defensive stopper, go guard the, you know, guard from the other team. Cause like, honestly, like I was looking at the box score and I'm like, dang, like, why is he taking so many shots? And I'm like, Oh, well, the next highest shot taker is uh Connaughton and well, (laughs) yeah. Well, the three, that's the problem. with It's one of the bucks problems right now is that the three of those guys have to take all the shots. Exactly. Because any other shots are going to Connaughton, Bryn Forbes, and Brooke Lopez. It's like, yeah. Yeah. But speaking of the U.S. men's national team, Wanda Spence, we've spent a lot of time talking about them the last couple of days. Uh, yeah. I love international basketball, man. I love all international competition. I just got done watching, like, the most soccer I've ever watched in my life, watching Euro. And I'm, gonna, I'm starting to watch the Gold Cup now, too. The, all of the North American teams uh, in Central America, they're all playing in the Gold Cup, which is kind of fun. Canada and the U.S. are in the same group. So, But the U.S. men's national team, I was on here last week talking about how the talent on this team, you know, people were worried about like, oh, we don't have ball handling, we don't have shooting. And I made the statement that the talent on this team should wax the floor with every other country in the world because it's ridiculous. Uh, the U S men's team promptly went out and lost their first two exhibition games, which is the first time since 1992 when NBA players were allowed to play in the Olympics that that's ever happened. They bounced back against Argentina and beat Argentina in an exhibition the other day. Do you think that it matters that they lost those two exhibition games? Are you, there's been like doomers and gloomers about the team. And then there's been people who are like, okay, like it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, I I don't think it matters at all. For one, 
we've mentioned how close the end of the season is to the start of the Olympics. The guys that are there, I cannot imagine that in an exhibition game, they are going balls to the wall. Second, we talked about this. International basketball is literally a different game because it literally has different rules. Um, Specifically, one thing that Dame talked about is the fact that zone defense is allowed. So the way you have to read certain plays or even just like a pick and roll, something that you're going to run a ton is different. And so I think some of these guys like Dane who have not played international basketball before they needed a couple games to kind of experiment a little bit, figure out how they need to be reading these things. I think when the games actually matter, they're going to be going all out and trying to wax every possible hair off of every ass that they find i'm not worried about those two games and to their credit like from the first game to the second game they did get better because against nigeria they gave up like i think it was like 42 three-point attempts yeah nigeria i was just about to say to nigeria's credit yeah nigeria hit 20 of 42 (laughs) three-pointers yeah that's ridiculous yeah, so that it dropped off pretty quickly. I think uh, game two, it was like only 24 attempts, which is much more palatable than 42. <laughs> One theory that I heard is that Popovich was purposely trying to put them in disadvantageous situations in the first couple of games. Think about like what are America's biggest advantages over the other countries in basketball? It's that our guys are bigger, faster, stronger. They're more athletic. They're better shooters. They're X, Y, and Z. So it really lends itself to playing a fast-paced game and getting up and down the court, which is what we've seen from USA teams in the past, like the famous ones that have LeBron, Kobe, and Dwayne Wade, all those. You see those guys like flying down the court, throwing alley-oops, doing all the fun stuff that they would go on to do for the Heat. And what like Popovich made them apparently run a lot of uh, half court offense in the first couple of games and really not play like a pressuring defense, like playing like kind of more of a drop back defense. Mm-hmm. That's just one theory that I heard. It was kind of interesting. Uh, and then, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to touch the third rail here, which, you know, you're really not supposed to do in life, but I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> they're playing their home games in Las Vegas right now. Right. The whole U- team USA training camp is in Las Vegas. Uh, how many of those guys, because we just came out of COVID, like stuff is opening back up. How many of those guys were at the casino uh, and at the strip club the night before games one and two? No hardness. Like, mm. I mean, so Bradley Beal is in the health and safety protocol now and is apparently yeah. going to have to be replaced on the roster. Uh, Jeremy Grant is as well. Um, they're hopeful he might return, but... So what yeah. were what were those guys doing? No, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, it, it is totally possible a lot of these guys could have been out partying before the first couple of games thinking, like, oh, these are going to be walkovers. It's going to be no problem. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, like, NBA players have a long history of doing this shit. I'm not going to lie. If I was in my early 20s 
in that situation, that is exactly what I would be doing. Oh, and you're like a one hundred percent. You're a multimillionaire, and you're in Vegas. Like, yeah, yeah. man. You're, and everything's just opening up off of COVID. Like, yeah, you're probably going to go party. I'm not. I'm not trying That's to amazing. throw any. I'm not trying to throw any shade. I'm just saying that, like, some of those guys were probably up late the night before the game, thinking like, "Oh, dude, we got Nigeria tomorrow. Who cares?" Like, I have Kevin Durant, and Dame Lillard on the team, so. Yeah, I, I like the effort a lot more in game three against Argentina. Obviously, the one they won. There was a lot of minutes for uh, Keldon Johnson and some of the guys from the, um, not the B team, but like the younger team that they send. Yeah. Some of those guys got called up uh, to replace Booker and Middleton, like the guys who aren't there yet. Yeah. So there's a lot of minutes from some of the younger guys, and I kind of liked what I saw from the younger guys because there's a lot more effort there. They're like, oh, they, they have a lot more to prove, you know? So that was well, kind of, that was good. It's, it's a bit, it's, it's their showcase mm-hmm. for them to actually, you know, jumpstart their career. So. And the other thing too, that I saw when I watched, I watched game three in the, against Argentina. And the thing that I like that I saw is that I feel like when you show up to team USA, there's so many good players, right? Like everyone's an all-star. You have all these all NBA guys on the team and everybody really has to figure out their roles. And it's kind of like a, you're taking these guys who the majority of them, I'd say like at least five of the guys that are on this team right now. And like six, when you add Booker are the alpha dog of their NBA team. Like they're like, okay, when we're in trouble, I'm taking the shots. I'm like, you know, it's game time. And I think like when you have team USA and you have like Dame and Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal and, Jason Tatum, they're kind of looking at it, looking around like, okay, like who is going to step up and who's going to be the alpha dog and who's going to be the guy where it's like, okay, we're in trouble. We need a bucket. Who's getting the ball. And they're all kind of like deferring to each other. Cause everybody's so good that they're just like, Oh, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. And what I really want to see. And what I saw more of in game three is like someone like Dame stepping up and being like, okay, I'm scoring. This is my time to score. And not passing up those wide open shots. Like the point guard from Argentina continuously was going under screens against Dame. Where, like, if you know anything about basketball, you know you do not go basketball in the NBA. You never go under a screen against Dame. And Dame just started like busting threes, like from (laughs) further out. And I'm like, this is what I want. I don't want the point guard for the foreign team to go under a screen against Dame. And Dame's like, okay, I'm going to pass it to Kevin. Like, Shoot it from 40 feet away. It's your specialty. Come on, man. So I think the more they play together, I think the more Durant and Dame are going to step up and be like, okay, we're the alpha dogs on this team. We're the best yeah. players. When we're in trouble, we're, we're taking over. This is uh, the start of Dame recruiting Durant to uh, try to force a trade over to Portland. The toughest road. <laughs> The hardest. I chapter. mean, it would definitely be a tough. It would be the toughest road he's probably had in his entire career. Before we go on to the last thing, did you see the memes of Kevin Durant in a Nigeria uniform after they lost to Nigeria? No, you're gonna have to send. Oh some my god, I'll send it to you. They cut the the picture from his uh, my next chapter article from when he went to Golden State. Oh my god! And it was him in a Nigeria uniform. <laughs> it was like my <gasps> taking my toughest <laughs> challenge yet. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to shit on all the other countries, though. Like, credit to Nigeria and to uh, Australia. 
who beat no, the U.S. So, they played great. They played great, and they were super fun to watch. Like it's this is, I think, the you know the rest of the world is better at basketball than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. So I think watching games where the U.S. isn't involved is like at an all time high as far as like entertainment. Let's keep in mind that these other teams that aren't the NBA have been playing together for years. Like all of these guys on the U S team are trying to figure out where they are in that role. And you got to get chemistry with each other. That's not an issue for literally any other team in the Olympics. No. Well, during the Nigeria game too, one of the things I thought was really interesting is like, yeah, they have a couple NBA guys on their team. No one, no one huge, but like even the, the guys on the team who aren't NBA players, I feel like what happens a lot, and I'm guilty of this from our last podcast, is that you say like, okay, come on, they're not even in the NBA. They're not that good at basketball. Like they're not as good as these guys, but you're talking about dudes who are like literally MVPs and scoring leaders of other leagues around the world. Yeah. And like I said, those other leagues, the talent is at an all time high. So yeah, like they're not an NBA player, but it doesn't mean that they're a bad basketball player. So I, I apologize for that. I was really impressed watching Nigeria bomb threes. I was like, this yeah. is like, this is awesome. Super and, fun to watch. And a lot of why like these guys haven't made it to the NBA is they lack that like next level, like physical athleticism. A lot of players in international basketball are a lot more skilled at a lot younger age than you see in America. Um, just, you know, you look at someone like Kuminga, who's going to be the fifth pick in the draft, but like the selling point on him is what could he be? Not what is he good at? Right. Well, he's the fifth pick in the draft, but he's like also like a year younger than everybody else. Yeah. You know, so he's here at an earlier age. So, but we're talking about, you know, guys from Europe and, you know, other countries that like when they're 17, 18 years old, they're already playing pro ball. And they're already skilled. I mean, look at how great Luca was when he came in because he had been playing pro ball from a young age. Yeah. They have a rematch against the Australian national team tomorrow. And then they have Spain uh, on the 18th. Those are going to be the last couple games. And then they are going to take off for Tokyo where they start off against France on July 25th. So be fun to watch. I, I think this will probably be the first Olympics where I watch a lot of uh, international basketball that doesn't have anything to do with the United States. Just cause like I said, like it's at an all time high, man. It's super fun to watch. Like yeah. these FIBA basketball is like a fun brand of basketball. You know, it's different from the NBA, but it's, it's pretty cool. It's fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot less, you know, ISO and, all that stuff that you see a lot of in the NBA, whereas like they run, you know, more of what you would expect to like a college offense or, you know, more motion, all that stuff. Playing team basketball, man. It's fun to watch. So going from something that we will watch to something that we will not watch. <laughs> that is uh, the new Space Jam movie is coming out tomorrow, July 16th. I hope you're all into ASMR because <laughs> it's like, isn't ASMR supposed to be enjoyable? Yeah, that's why I said I hope. 
This is like the opposite of that. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Matt's getting out his popcorn because he knows what's about to happen here with the Space Jam movie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clip this and make this like our first social media video. So try not to eat your popcorn too loud. Space Jam, the new Space Jam movie, LeBron's Space Jam movie comes out tomorrow. And I have two major problems with this movie. The first, and it, okay, so if you haven't, seen space jam pause the podcast go watch space jam and then come back with your snack of choice so that you can chew along with matt it's the best the first space jam movie is a propaganda film (laughs) are you done no (laughs) i'll never be done the first space jam movie is a propaganda film about Michael Jordan being able to beat an NBA all-star team all by himself. In the movie, the little aliens steal the powers from five NBA quote-unquote all-stars. And I say that because like guys like Muggsy Bose and Sean Bradley are getting their powers stolen. And Michael Jordan beats the Monstars team with literally Bill Murray and Bugs Bunny as his sidekicks. The climax of Space Jam is Michael Jordan winning the game and saving the world by dunking on all the aliens all at once by himself. Like that, that is the movie. And you know what? It's somewhat believable because for years, Michael Jordan torched these guys. Like they have, the aliens have the powers of like Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, like all guys that Jordan stopped throughout his career. So it is kind of believable. Also on a side note, who was in charge of roster construction for the Monstars? Because they did a shitty job. Like, why am I playing Sean Bradley alien and Patrick Ewing alien at the same time? Like, if I have Charles Barkley alien on my team, I'm trying to space the floor so that he can get in the lane. And I have, like, two centers playing at the same time. It's terrible. It's terrible. And, like, if you look at the bad guys from the new movie, you can tell that the understanding of basketball has changed they were like, okay, we lost the first time because we had all these big guys on the floor. What do we do? And now they're like, oh shit, we have Anthony Davis, Clay Thompson, and Dame. We're going to space it out. Also, the Monstars had no bench, but that's the whole, like, you, come on, you couldn't get like a six guy. There was no six Monstar. The new movie expects me to believe that LeBron James can defeat an NBA all-star team all by himself. Like I mentioned, the bad guys in the new movie like copy the powers of like Dame, Anthony Davis, and Clay Thompson. I watched LeBron James play the Monstars in the finals two times when he played the Golden State Warriors, and he lost badly. So my suspension of disbelief is completely out the window. Like I can accept that Bugs. I watched Bunny- him lose to JJ Barea. Yeah, someone get JJ Barea <laughs> on the new Monstars. They. <laughs> I have a very different ending. I can't watch this and believe that LeBron's going to win this game. Like a more accurate storyline for this movie would have been like clutch signing Superman and Batman and making them force a trade onto the Looney Tunes team to help LeBron beat these guys. Like LeBron looks across the court because we just saw this too. Like when LeBron joined the Lakers, was that not the Toon squad? Was that not like a bunch of goofy reject basketball players that nobody wanted all on a team trying to beat real NBA teams? And what did he do? 
he had clutch go and sign Anthony Davis and make him force a trade onto the Lakers. So I don't believe this movie at all. My second problem and probably my bigger issue (laughs) is that they had the opportunity to name this movie space jam Too Looney, Too Toonie. And they passed it up in favor for space jam, a new legacy. It is not only, yeah, not only a massive oversight by the marketing team for space jam, but also clutch. How can you let LeBron be in a movie that's not called Space Jam 2 Looney 2 Toonie? That's my end of my rant. I will not see the movie. I'm sight unseen. I'm not watching this. I do love a good LeBron rant. I, this is like my second one in four episodes or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't even get a chub when it happens. I just get full erect. You're... <laughs> while eating popcorn is my third of the my third LeBron yeah. rant of the playoffs on a side note can we say that like the one thing that Space Jam 1 did get right is that the owner of the Monstars is like a greedy money hungry slave driver like he's like the perfect representation of most NBA owners and also he wouldn't pay for his own goddamn arena they had to play in an arena that was subsidized by the taxpayers of Toontown What's wrong with these people? Going back to the believable thing for LeBron, he's four and six in NBA Finals. Jordan was six and zero. Oh. By deciding that you get to make this movie, you are saying that you are equal to Michael Jordan. So you aren't even in the same stratosphere. That's one of the things that frustrates me the most about him is he just does not respect the people that came before him. Well, you notice like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are not in this movie because there was like a long list of guys, like on a serious note, there was a long list of guys who turned down being in this movie Mm -hmm. when asked. And like, if I'm Kevin Durant and they're coming to me and they're like, Hey, we want to put you in space jam two as one of the bad guys. I'm like, why? I, I beat LeBron. I'm better than LeBron. Yeah, I don't want to watch a movie about LeBron beating me, like LeBron and his son beating me through the power of fatherhood. <laughs> like, no, I've already beat this guy. I was finals MVP twice. I went man to man against him in the finals and I beat him. No, like, are the Monstars winning? Like at the end of this movie, is LeBron going to win the game? And then we're going to see that the series is 3-1 and the Monstars are going to close them out at home. Like, is that how this movie ends? Because <laughs> that's the only believable ending to me. I've that is the it. only way I'm willing to watch this movie. You know it's not going to be like that. So I I won't go see it. And it's just like, yeah, like I said, man, we, we watch Jordan destroy these guys for years and years and years. And so it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I could see it. I, I don't never seen LeBron beat all these guys. Like, I don't know. Is it like the 2020 Miami Heat? that they're going up against? And does he have Anthony Davis on his side? The only reason he's making this, this movie is that he thinks that his team has, is the Heatles. That's it. <laughs> they're going to, I mean, have you seen the like previews? They do the uh, Lola throwing the alley-oop, Lola Bunny throwing the alley-oop up and someone dunking it behind her and she runs like Dwayne Wade. They're doing the whole, they're going to bust out all of the famous clips from LeBron's past. This is why I guarantee that I know how the movie ends. And like, I have not seen a screener. I've not seen any spoilers. The movie ends with 
one of the guys from the bad team going away for like a layup that'll put the game out of reach. Like they're, they're going to be like up to the bad guys will be, and they're going to have a breakaway layup and LeBron is going to chase down block it like he did against golden state. And then they're going to hit he's either him or he's going to make the pass for someone to hit a game winning three. That's how this movie ends. I guarantee it. That's how the game ends in the movie. I have 100% believe that. But all right, man, that's all I got. You got anything else before we sign off? Oh, yeah. All you uh, like Rockets fans and Cavs fans, all you other fans of teams that are not the first round, first overall pick that are kind of like trying to plot your way that maybe you could still get Cade Cunningham. Stop. He is ours. He is going to Detroit. That is the only team that he has agreed to work out for. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's all That's all Detroit's decision at this point, right? I, I mean, mean, if he's only working out for one own team, and he already knows. I think he knows. We got some extra time, so we can, we can talk about this real quick. Uh, two things, I guess. We'll touch on my favorite team, the Sacramento Kings, who we don't, we don't talk a ton about on the podcast, but... Uh, there's good reason for that because they're for safe for safety reasons. Yeah, I'll cry. I am wearing King sweatpants right now, though, while we're recording. Well, I do. I have Sacramento King sweatpants on. That makes one of us wearing pants. Hmm. There are two things about the Kings. Uh, one, they made a apparently made a draft promise to uh, Franz Wagner uh, that they will draft him if he's still there at nine, uh, which I think is a mistake because. I said this on the pod a couple of weeks ago. This is the type of analysis you can only get here on Fouled Out. Uh, Book Knight is flying up people's boards right now with how he's performed in uh, workouts and stuff. And he he's breaking into the top 10 now. He was like between 16 and 20 on a lot of boards. And he's I, I said this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think he has the highest upside of any player in the draft who's not like one of those top five like big guys. Yeah. I would take him in a heartbeat if he's there. Yeah. Anyone, I don't think I don't think he will be. Anyone who's that skilled at making tough shots, like obviously, there's two sides to that coin. Obviously, take a ton of hard shots, you're gonna miss a good amount. But like we saw, what Devin Booker was able to do, just hitting shots that he absolutely has no business making, and. You need someone on your team that can do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm planting my flag right here. Uh, I think Book Knight, Book Knight's my guy in this draft outside of like the Cades and the Evan Mobleys of the world. When you get past like the top like three or four guys, I think he's going to be the best player. And I, I would not be surprised if he gets drafted like fifth or sixth and people are like, what? What? He's like being way overdrafted, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like really good because I think he's going to be great. I think he has a good chance of like, we talked about these guards who get drafted too late, like Booker and Donovan Mitchell and those guys. He's yep. the, he's the next one. I I'm staking my claim right now. He is the next one. And uh, if we draft Wagner while he's still on the board, I, I will not be happy. I will be sad again. Uh, the other thing with the Kings real quick is that we talked about Devin or not Devin Booker. We talked about Ben Simmons trades. There's not going to be a Devin Booker trade. Don't expect that. We talked about Ben Simmons trades on the pod a couple of weeks ago. And the one I threw out was uh, for the Kings, Bagley healed and a first. 
for Ben Simmons. There was a rumor that came out this week that was uh, Bagley healed and three first for Simmons, which, uh, you know, I know you and me are pretty far apart on Simmons value right now, but uh, I think three first is too much. (laughs) I think we can all agree that three first is too much. Yeah, uh, that would be highway robbery, in my opinion. But uh, even one first, I would be like, all right, well, it's got to at least be like lottery protected. (laughs) Well, so I would do the first, I would do this year's first at nine, depending on who's left on the board. Like if you, if you get to that spot and book night's not there and like Davey and Mitchell's not there and like the guys that you like aren't there, just trade that pick. Cause you know, you know what it is. I hate trading future first. Cause you never know what they're going to be. Well, you got to understand that if who you like, isn't there at nine, who Philly likes might also not be there at nine. So to be fair, who I like and who the Kings like are usually two diff- very different players because I like Luka Doncic and the Kings like Marvin Bagley. Fucking, I will never get over it ever. I would never get over it, but we'll see. It's a, it's a new era. Monty's in charge and uh, I trust him so far. So uh, if we, I don't think that we will trade three first for Ben Simmons because I, I just don't think, I don't see Monty doing that. Uh, I see him continuing to build and try to get younger. So I, I will trust him with the ninth pick until proven otherwise, but I would really like to get book night. No, I think that's it for us. Uh, as always, you can find Fouled Out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports, or you can find us on Instagram uh, at ARFowler00. See cute pictures of Koji and maybe a Instagram video about why you shouldn't go see the new Space Jam. We'll see how editing goes tonight. Seriously, boycott it. All right, man. I will see you next. I think next week when we come on, the NBA finals are probably going to be over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll do a little wrap up and a little draft preview. And then we'll probably uh, do a little draft recap because I think there's going to be some craziness. And then we are on to football. Woo! Starting in August. All of August More is. Pain. Yeah. <laughs> August is football preview month. Uh, and then football starts in September, man. So we'll do, Ooh, yeah, yeah. What are we, are we going to do our boldy bolds on the air? Oh yeah. No, we're going to do the whole, we're going to do all the picks. We'll run you guys through all of our division picks and playoff picks and Super Bowl and awards. And every year, Matt so you, and I do what we like to call boldy bolds. What's what's your boldest prediction for the season? Yeah. Uh, you guys are going to have to like write this stuff down because when they all go terribly wrong, we're just going to delete the episode. I don't know what you were talking about. I did not pick Cincinnati to win the Super Bowl on the air. All right, man. I'll see you later. Later. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.